Hi there. My name is Preston Puto. Welcome to the Lake Ridge Community Church Podcast. This is where we share some of our messages from Sunday mornings. So we're glad you're here to listen. We'd love for you to join us in person. We meet on Sunday mornings at 1030 a.m. at Our Lady of Wisdom School here in Chestermere. At our core, we're a community of people. So we gather on Sundays, but we also do a lot in the week together. We are people learning to follow Jesus and love our city. So to learn more, visit lakeridgecommunity.com. Hope to check in and visit with you soon. Take care. Thanks for listening. My question today is this. Is it worth saving? Is it worth saving? Have you ever had that question in your life? Is it worth saving? Is something that used to be really good but is no longer good or hard or difficult, is it worth saving? And so uh, today I have a dowel here and you're going to hold on to to, to this because we're going to turn back to it in today's message. Our sermon series today uh, or that we're going on through the summer is a journey through the book of Genesis, and we're hanging on to the scripture that comes right out of the beginning. When God made everything, he saw, and then he made humans, he saw that it was very good. That's the pronouncement of God on humanity when he made it. He said, this is very good. You are very good in God's eyes. In the creator's eyes, you are very good. And so we're going to take a look into a story today that is, I think, a major speed bump in this pronouncement of it is very good. It's a story of Noah. We're going to take a look at this grand story. Now you might be familiar with it, maybe you learned about it in Sunday school, or you've seen the rainbow and the beautiful animals sticking their heads out of an ark, and we have a lot of those books with our kids, and I think if my kids knew no other story, it would be Noah's Ark, because who doesn't love happy animals? Well, this is not actually a very good story. initially. This is not a very pleasant story, and it's a hard one to preach on because there's some stuff that happens in this story that reveals something very difficult about this very good uh, world that God made and what happens to it. You see, in this story, right out of the gate, when Adam and Eve, they eat this fruit that they shouldn't eat, and right away they're introduced to this idea of sin and death, that they are going to die. That sin has now entered the world, and the story of Genesis begins to reveal what this looks like. Well, right next story to it is now the consequences of the sin. The consequences are actually pretty dire as this story unfolds. The consequences of destruction and hate, they enter into the world in such a way that it is worthy of it being wiped out. That this good, very good world is now at the precipice of being destroyed. And it's a very hard speed bump for us to enter into it. We like the story of the animals, but really this is a huge theological speed bump that is right near at the beginning of Genesis chapter 6. So when you hit a speed bump, what do you do? If I don't know the speed bumps there, I careen into it and the bottom of my car goes crunch, right? And I wonder if I've got to do some repairs to it, right? But if you know the speed bumps there, what do you do? You slow down 
and you slowly go over the speed bump so that you don't wreck something along the way. And this is what the book, or this is what Genesis is doing to us right now, okay? It's taking us and it's slowing us down to say, you're going to encounter some hard things here. Uh, you're going to encounter something. And if you've only read this story for the first time, you're going to be shocked by, what's, by what God is about to do initially and then what God does after. And you're going to have some big questions about it. And so as we look through, the, through Genesis, I think, or through, through this story, I think that we need to slow down or forced to look a little bit more closely at it. And we are forced to wait on the story itself and let it unfold and tell us something. There's a lot to cover here. I think some people, when they think that we're going to cover the story of Genesis, they're going to think, are we going to do some mathematics as to how many animals we can fit inside of a boat or something along those kind of terms, right? That is not today's message. Because the book of Genesis is actually not wanting us to figure that out. The book of Genesis is wanting to figure out something about the nature of God in this. Now, we could stop and have a lot of fun about the nature of the size of the boat. We, compare it, we can compare it to the later tabernacle and temple, and there's a whole lot of things we can do with it. But today, we're going to take a slow speed bump approach to it and pay attention to something here. There's a word. There's a word for what this moment is, and it's a word called theodicy. Teaching you a word. Theodicy is the connection of the word God and justice. Theodicy is the philosophical challenge of this. How does a good and all-powerful God allow evil in the world? It's probably the biggest challenging question for, for any thinking person to wrestle with this, especially those of us who believe in God, to say, how does God, if he's good and he's all-powerful, how does bad stuff still happen? As a pastor, it's probably one of the most driving questions that, are, that I get from a lot of people when they're going through something hard. I'm the RCMP chaplain, and when I'm talking to, to members there, what are they mostly wrestling with? This world sucks. I have people coming in after a shift, and one of them, I remember he sat down and he goes, humans are awful. And he just slams some stuff down. He goes, what do you think? <laughs> the story of Noah, like others in scripture, they explore this theme. The book of Job explores this theme. It goes on and on. Many of the Psalms explore this theme, and gratefully, when Christ comes, he's also exploring the problem of evil and brokenness in this world. And when we encounter it, we have to slow down. There's no simplistic answer to the problem of evil, but there's a simple answer, and I think we're going to explore what that is. So, let's take a look today in uh, Genesis chapter 6. Um, as time goes by, I'm, I'm going to propose something here. As time goes by, I'm going to propose that you bring your Bible to church. That, that, that's like an old-fashioned idea that we used to do a long time ago. Um, but back when they had scrolls, it was hard to bring Bibles. But now it's a little bit easier to bring them because we don't have big scrolls anymore. So you, but I'd, I'd encourage you to bring it along. We like to read in different versions of it. Sometimes when I'm reading a long form, I sometimes read in the message version. And so that's what we're going to take a look at today. Genesis 6. 5 goes like this. God saw that human evil was out of control. People thought evil, imagined evil, 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 evil from morning to night. God was sorry that he had made the human race in the first place and it broke his heart. 
The book of Genesis reveals the character and nature of God, and right out of the gate we encounter the, the emotions of God. It broke his heart that he made something that was very good, and now this very good thing is destroying itself and others. And it broke his heart. He was sorry that he made them. And God said, I'll get rid of my ruined creation. Make a clean sweep. People, animals, snakes, bugs. Some of you would be happy about that. Birds, the works. I'm sorry I made them, is what it says. But Noah was different. God liked what he saw in Noah. So this is the story of Noah. Noah was a good man, a man of integrity in his community. Did you know the word that was used here is a word called righteous? It's a Hebrew word. And do you know that there's very few people who are called righteous in the Bible? <laughs> very few who are given that moniker. And Noah is one of them. So there's something very special about this guy. Pick your favorite old grandpa. This is Noah. Okay? Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. As far as God was concerned, the earth had become a sewer. There was violence everywhere. And God took one look at how bad it was. Everyone corrupt and corrupting. Life itself corrupt to the core. God said to Noah, it's all over. It's the end of the human race. The violence is everywhere, and I'm making a clean sweep. Build yourself a ship from teakwood. Make rooms in it. Coat it with pitch inside and out. Make it 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. Build a roof for it and put a window of 18 inches from the top. I love the specificity of that, right? God's like, oh, and a window. You know, 18 inches. Mwah. Beautiful, right? Put in a door on the side of the ship and make three decks, lower, middle, upper. I'm going to bring a flood on the earth that will destroy everything under heaven. Total destruction. But I'm going to establish a covenant with you. You'll board the ship. You and your sons, your wife and your sons' wives will come aboard with you. You are to take two of each living creature, a male and a female, on board the ship to preserve their lives with you. Two of every species of bird, mammal, reptile. Two of everything as you preserve their lives along with yours. Also, get all the food you'll need and store it up for you and for them. Noah did everything God commanded him to do. This flood narrative, uh, this story that we're about to encounter here, uh, did you know there is no story in the Bible that has as many uh, versions of it out in world religions? <laughs> it's, this, it's, this, it's this amazing story. Now, every one of these stories is trying to tell a little bit of a different angle, and there's a different reason for why the floods come and so on. But this is a very, this is, this is an ancient story that would have been everywhere. Somehow people knew of this grand story and, and this. But... The version in Genesis that we are reading here, the version in, in scriptures, it starts with this scandal. And it is the scandal that humans are turning out terribly. This is, this is to scandalize you. That a moment ago, humans were made beautiful and perfect and in love and relationship with God. And now the scandal is that these people have turned their own way. Have you ever been hurt by a human? Anyone here? Anyone here ever been hurt by a human? Humans somehow hurt more than any other animal out there. <laughs> Humans are awful at hurting others, right? I have someone who sits on city council here. He knows a thing or two about being hurt, right? It is, it is hard to be around humans. There's something about a person 
free to do what they want, turning to us and then deciding to damage us. That is a painful thing to discover. It is upsetting. It is debasing. And in Scripture they say it is evil. It was never the intent that two humans would be hurting each other and that I would retaliate with hurt of my own, right? I've been hurt, you've been hurt. My friend Sean Davidson, he's a priest out in New Brunswick. He's a priest of a couple churches there. And he says that the church, he was just writing something, and he says the church is full of these people. <laughs> as, and he says as a priest, he sees it and feels it probably more than anybody else. Because the church is full of people that hurt. Things that happen in the church, he says, cannot just be troubling, but also soul-crushing. <laughs> when you're in a church full of other human people that you're expecting to be in a safe place, and suddenly somebody in this world hurts you, it can hurt more than, than if you hadn't met these people at all. And so what happens is that when we are part of a community, things that happen here that are not only just troubling but soul-crushing, people we, that we expect much more from, suddenly we decide and discover that we are hurt. And so we do what people have done for a long time. We hide. We rush away. We find a hole and we go there, leaving, hiding, covering up. I know a lot of pastors that have done that, right? Because it hurts to be around humans. I'm just painting a little picture here to kind of talk about a little snapshot of what it is to experience humans at their worst. So God's big question to Noah, his big question is, is it even worth saving? Noah, I think... I gave everybody a dowel here. And I wonder, I, I imagine Noah being given this task. And it says he did everything God commanded him to do. So he goes and he starts making this boat. I'm sure that they didn't have screws back then. And so I kind of got all, all these dowels. And I just imagine him each and every time taking a piece of wood. And he kind of says, build this, this stinking huge ship, Right? And he knows how bad everything is. And he might even know every single whack. He's hitting it away and he's going, is this worth saving? Is it worth it to keep this going? It is bad. Is it worth saving snakes? bugs, and my boys, and their wives, is it worth it? Every whack, for years and years, I think Noah goes on this journey in his own life. You've got to imagine that, he's, that this world is going to be destroyed, and yet something's being saved in it. And so he builds his ark. I also wonder if he's asking other questions besides, is it worth saving? Is making this ark really going to heal anything? <laughs> is this flood really going to fix what's inside of me? Who builds something in the face of a flood? <laughs> Who invests in something when they know that it's all going to go to garbage anyway? Is this God that I'm serving even good? He made something good and now he's wiping it away. Is, is he good? 
is he all-powerful? If he's relying on me to build this ark, maybe he's impotent and inept at making a good thing. You can imagine this really good man Noah is asking some big theological questions and with each hammer throw, he must have had these questions. And with each hammer throw, the scriptures say that Noah did everything God commanded him. He was joining with God in doing something that God asked him to do, which was whack another dowel into another piece of wood to hold an ark together to save something. Is it worth saving? The book of Hebrews talks about Noah. Noah, this, this guy who spent this time building this and asking these big questions. Hebrews chapter 11 goes on this litany where it talks about the, the faith of these people. And it lists off a bunch of them. And Noah makes this grand list. And Hebrews 7, it says this, By faith, Noah built a ship in the middle of dry land. He was warned about something he couldn't see and acted on what he was told. The result? His family was saved. His act of faith drew a sharp line between the evil of this unbelieving world and the rightness of the believing world. As a result, Noah became intimate with God. Every step of the way, he's joining in with God in this saving work. He's participating with this creator who made everything good and now he's, sa he's saving it along with him. It goes on in, in Hebrews 11, 13 to summarize it up. It says, each one of these people of faith died not yet having in hand what was promised, but still believing. How did they do it? They saw it way off in the distance, waved their greeting, and accepted the fact that they were transient in this world. Noah was faithful to what God asked him to do, even though he didn't know how this would end. <laughs> All he knew was everything was wiped out, and it was his little family who was participating in holding something small together. I love the way that it puts it. They saw it, Noah saw it a ways off in the distance, waved its greeting, and accepted the fact that they were transient in this world. People who live this way make it plain that they are looking for their true home. If they were homesick for the old country, they could have gone back any time they wanted, but they were after a far better country than that, heaven country. You can see why God was so proud of them and has a city waiting for them. <laughs> what an interesting way that the book of Hebrews puts it and summarizes the life. Let's continue with this story as we dig through. We'll skip a little bit here, but we're going to go to Genesis 8, 18. I'm always getting older, so my glasses. So they go on their ship, and they wait all these days, and, uh, and, and I'm going to skip forward to this part. So Noah disembarked with his sons and his wife's sons, or, and his sons' wives, all the animals, crawling creatures, birds, every creature on the face of the earth left the ship family by family. Noah built an altar to God. He selected clean animals and birds from every species offered and offered them as a burnt offering on the altar. God, this is interesting, God smelled the sweet fragrance and thought to himself. Sometimes we get an insight into the mind of God, but here, here he is. He thought to himself as he's seeing this. I'll never curse the ground again because of these people. I know they have this bent towards evil from an early age, but... I'll never again kill off every living thing just as I've done. 
For as long as earth lasts, planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never stop. It's beautiful, isn't it? God had his heart broken in this way by seeing his creation acting in a certain way. And here he is thinking to himself, after seeing Noah and all that he went through, whacking every single dowel and now making it out the other side and now having this offering to God in grace, in, in gratitude. And he's saying, I know these people are bad. I, I'm not going to do that again. And so God makes this promise. In, ch- in chapter 9, 8, it goes like this. Then God said to Noah and his sons with them, I now establish my covenant, that's a promise, with you and with your descendants after you. And with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is a sign of the covenant or promise that I'm making between me and you and every living creature, a covenant for all generations to come. I've set my rainbow in the clouds. And it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and a rainbow appears in the cloud, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever a rainbow appears in the cloud, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on earth. And so God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I've established between me and all life on earth. In the ancient world, people loved to look at the stars, and they, when, when they would find in the stars the sign of a bow, uh, they saw that as God's wrath towards the earth. And they would look for a sign of a bow. And here, some people think that what God was saying was he was taking the image of a bow, which was a sign of, was often pointed down towards earth, And here, the rainbow, there's some stuff in Hebrew, I won't go into it, but he flips it over. And suddenly, instead of pointing an arrow towards earth, it's protecting earth. And this rainbow becomes a bow, not facing towards us, but covering us. It's an interesting way of viewing it. So this promise, it's one of the first major promises in the Bible, and it is this, it is that people are bent towards evil, but God is not going to kill them off. Maybe cold comfort. I don't know. I'm grateful for it. So theodicy, this question, how does a very good God who's all-powerful let bad things happen? Well, I think it is a promise that God will not intervene to destroy what is bad and evil in the world. You want to know why there's bad stuff happening? Because God promised that he's not going to come and slam your neighbor to the ground. (laughs) He's not going to come in and explode something. When Jesus had his followers coming along and they met these Samaritans, these naughty bad people, they said, we should destroy them with some lightning. And Jesus says, stop. (laughs) We're not doing that here. Over and over, Jesus begins to show them that he is not destroying his good creation, this holy, beautiful, loving, good people he made, that he would go another way. It would not be through a huge smack on his creation that he would redeem it. It would be a longer way, a patient way, a way that would turn justice not towards humans, but towards himself. 
that he would be the one to take on all the wounds, that he would be the one to turn it upside down. So he made promises with Noah, but then he made more promises with Abraham, then with David, and with Moses and his people, and eventually a new covenant in Jesus. We're going to go through and learn some of these promises. But all the way through, we then move to this person named Jesus who encounters a scandalized world. (laughs) But he's not scandalized by it. Jesus, he steps into a world and he loves people. He, He meets them. And when his disciples want to destroy them, he says no. Jesus prepared his disciples to live in a scandalized world. Are you scandalized by your relatives? I sure am. I got some relatives that I'm, they, can, they can stay where they are, you know? I got some people in my neighborhood they can stay where they are. Heck, I got some people in my church, I wonder sometimes, right? We can be scandalized by the humans around us, but because of Jesus, we are able to now step into a corrupt, sorrowful, hurt world, and guess what? God is building an ark around it to save it. God is building a way to include and save us. The early church, when they would build their church buildings, the main part of the church was called a nave. It was the main gathering area, and it was considered an ark. (laughs) They actually loved to make the ceiling out of wood, so that when you were in there, you felt safe. You felt like you were being rescued. And it was always a place of sanctuary. That if you were going through something hard, guess what? You would go to the Christians because the Christians had this space where you could be safe. And the early churches, this is me getting nerdy here, but the early churches always had space there where there was enough clothes and food for whoever needed it. The early church was a representative of this saving grace of God, a place where we could all come and find refuge. Not because these people inside were particularly righteous like Noah, but because the righteousness of Jesus was now theirs that they could take for themselves. They could pretend to be righteous. (laughs) They can wear the righteousness of Jesus on their lives. Because, not because of their righteousness, but because of a promise. People of a promise. I want to introduce you to Andre Trocme. Uh, He is a, he's an interesting person. uh, And a friend of mine, he's a theologian, and he's studying the life of Andre Trocme right now in south of France. Which I think I might join him soon uh, and do a little study out there too. So, um, he was a pastor in Le Chambon sur Lignon, and he did this. He hid Jews during the Holocaust. When Hitler was rounding them all up, he got his church together and they created safe houses. And even when he was arrested, he was able to both rescue and sanctuary uh, people in an ongoing effort. He was named after, in 1970, the year he died, he was named by the Holocaust Memorial. He was named Righteous Among the Nations. It's a title given to people who did these things. Righteous Among the Nations. He was a Noah, right? He took what he had and he saw something that needed saving. These Jewish people who were on the run and being persecuted and he was given a chance to do something about it. He might not have had very much, but he took what he had and he had this question and it was this. Are is this worth saving? Is this worth saving? And so he took and he did what God commanded him and he rescued people. He gave them a safe place. This Christian pastor gathering these Jewish people 
And he did it the Jesus way, by laying down his life. And their community laid down their life. They opened their doors. Some of them were imprisoned and hurt for it, but this is what they did because of the righteousness of Jesus in them. I want you to hold your dowel today, if you have one around you. I love this quote by Andre Trocme. Look hard for ways to make little moves against destructiveness. Look hard for little ways to make little moves against destructiveness. As Jesus people, we are looking for little ways to make moves against destructiveness. We are rebuilding something. And with every whack, we, we wonder, is this worth saving? Is this city worth saving? Is this town council worth saving? We wonder. I can make those jokes. Is a school worth saving? Is your neighbor worth saving? Is the kid on your street who just spray-painted your fence worth saving? Is it worth saving? I think this is the question, and the reason why I've given you a doll is because I want you to ask that question. You see, Jesus taught his followers to go and save, to see no one as outside the saving work of God. Jesus was a craftsman, and so was his dad. <laughs> he would have known a thing or two about whacking a dowel into some wood and building something. With each thwack, he was building in a world that was corrupt. He was building in a world so scandalized by humans. <laughs> but he was not. He kept building. And then one day, one day on a cross, I think he would hear a sound again. Another thwack. And another thwack. And realize that this world, scandalized by humans and broken by sin and death and everything that's terrible, everything that was, that was due to humans to be destroyed, he took the destruction on himself. The arrow, the spear in his side was on him. No longer on you. No longer on me. No longer on our neighbors, but on him. The nails through his life would be the salvation for many. He would be the ark. No flood was going to cleanse this world of what's evil. Your wrath is not going to cleanse the awful things in your family. Your anger and your destructive tendencies aren't going to fix Chestermere. But guess what? The way of Jesus will. Putting that on Christ. Only the blood of God himself for you. This is the speed bump of Noah. And I hope we can slow down long enough to pay attention. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a hard story for us. To know why you, you destroyed. But we can almost see why. This world is not as good as you said it was and as good as you made it to be. But we thank you, not that we have to live up to Noah's righteousness, but we thank you that you become our righteousness. That by your death on a cross, we are saved. And we can join in saving work too. Help us to join you, Holy Spirit, in this world. To answer the question, 
Is it worth saving? May we meet Jesus on a cross who says, yes, it is. May we be your people who create such a community that creates a place of safety and hope for so many. And even though we are scandalized by the humans that we encounter every day, may we come before you with open hands and be renewed. Holy Spirit, come. Thank you for this journey through Genesis. Thank you for calling us very good and making a way for us to be with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please stand with me. Thwack, thwack, thwack. What are you going to do with your dowel this, 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 this week? I sure hope you take it and do something with it. I hope the story of God's work in you continues. Because I think God is building something in you. He's saving you. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his peace. Amen. Amen.